Space, the final frontier. Space is boundless. It squashes a man's ego. Let him have outer space. We got rock and roll. I'm with you. We got enough to worry about down here. Okay. Who here hasn't been to space? To answer that question, probably most of us. In fact, most of us probably haven't even considered the possibility of going to space. Recent space missions in the news have been fixated on travel to Mars, and those have so far only sent drones and rovers. No people. In comparison, exploration of the moon now almost seems bland. The last time the world was truly captivated by lunar exploration was during the space race in the 1960s. Interest lasted for a few decades after Neil Armstrong's first small step for man, but eventually faded as NASA's Apollo program was discontinued. Unless, of course, you believe the events of movies like Transformers or Apollo 18. With the current state of space exploration then so focused on travel to Mars with the moon in the rear view, why in the world is a space station being built in orbit around the moon? I'm Connor McLean, and welcome back to On the Sidelines. Joining us on the sidelines today to talk about the Lunar Gateway Space Station is Mitchell Cornell, a PhD student in mechanical engineering at McGill University, investigating the capability of CubeSats for on-orbit servicing, and also a science for everyone researcher. Thanks for joining us, Mitchell. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. All right. So we're going to start off with a bit of an unrelated question, but what is a CubeSat for on-orbit servicing? So I'll start with the first part of that. CubeSats are a subset of satellites. They're kind of these standardized small satellites that were made by some people down in California. And the idea behind them was trying to make a way to make space more accessible for people. So they standardized satellite units or U's into these 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter cubes. And you basically stack them together in different ways, and you get a satellite made out of cubes or a CubeSat. And the on-orbit servicing part of this, when you have satellites orbiting the Earth, doing their missions, whether it's observing Earth or communications, they can start to break down over time. They can run out of fuel. It's kind of like having a car. But unlike having a car, you can't just bring it to the mechanic. We can't just pull our satellites back down out of space do some work on them, send them back up. Oh, really? You can? (laughs) No, it's a little bit harder than than just driving down the street. So the idea behind on-orbit servicing is, can we build robots or satellites to go up there and fix these other satellites that are starting to break down, whether it's giving them more fuel, changing out their payloads, or physically repairing them if something breaks? So you're saying that our satellites are made out of really, really expensive Legos that we can swap pieces of? They're starting to be more like that, honestly. Oh, Um, very cool. The Europeans are actually, the European Space Agency is really pushing in that direction for just design for repair. And it's something that we're seeing on Earth a lot too, with trying to decrease waste that we should be able to fix everything. And now that ideas spreading to space as well that we should be able to fix our satellites that are up there so yeah basically really expensive lego is what space is made out of nowadays awesome well that's great for the environment and i guess you could say you're a great person to talk to about our our actual topic at hand um so let's talk about this space station why are we building 
a space station on, in orbit around the moon. Isn't that so last century? <laughs> yeah, we haven't been to the moon. Jeez, I guess we're coming up on almost 50 years now since we've been beyond low Earth orbit uh, for humans. And the reason behind that, or some of the reasons, are that it's really, really difficult to go much further away. If something goes wrong and you're far away, help is really far away and it's hard to get to and you're kind of left with what you have at your disposal. And there's that famous Apollo 13, that Houston, we've had a problem, um, but you're so far away that you can't get help, like you have to fix it on board. So the moon is a natural stepping stone into deep space exploration. And this time, NASA, the Canadian Space Agency, the European Space Agency, and all of their partners are saying that this time it's for good, that we are going to continue exploring. So the moon is a nice way to ease into that process with the consequences being not huge, like if we were to go right for Mars right away. Right. So it's like a little vacation home in space for us. Not too far away that we can't get there, but also not super far. Um, so you mentioned that we're we're looking for space travel to Mars. Like, how is this a step to Mars? Isn't the distance to the moon compared to the distance to Mars, like, inconsequential? So there's actually, I don't know if this is planned fully intentionally, but the distance from low Earth orbit to the moon is about a thousand times less. So, you know, low Earth orbit's a thousand times closer. The moon is about a thousand times closer than Mars. So we're just doing steps of a thousand to get us out into their space, it looks like. But going from moon the moon to Mars, there's not a ton that needs to change. When we're in low Earth orbit, we still get some protection from the Earth's magnetic field and those kinds of things like help is close by that we could readily, you know, get out of low Earth orbit or get something to there pretty quickly. But once we get to the moon, we lose a lot of that safety blanket, and it's a good place to test out a lot of these technologies that are going to take us to Mars. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. So what, what sort of like technologies or experiments are we actually testing uh, on this space station or on the moon that we can't on, let's say, the International Space Station? So some of the things that they're looking at are specifically the radiation that will be experienced by astronauts. Um, and they've started to look at that on the International Space Station. But again, being a little bit further away from Earth is going to make those problems a little bit trickier. They haven't disclosed everything that they're going to do that's going to help get them towards Mars at this point. But we could expect to see things like refueling of the vehicles that are going to take astronauts to Mars around the moon. So one of the most costly parts of sending a rocket from Earth to space is just getting into orbit. Once you're in orbit, it doesn't take that much fuel to fly around, but overcoming Earth's gravity to get up there is really difficult. So if we can design our system such that we have one rocket that takes us to orbit, and then we can just refuel that same rocket and go to Mars and come back, we're saving a lot of the fuel and a lot of the complexity. So I would expect to see some of those kinds of experiments. And also on the Canadian side, we have the Canadarm3 that's going to be built on the Lunar Gateway Station. So on the Lunar Gateway with Canadarm3, we're going to have kind of unprecedented levels of autonomy for space robots attached to these space stations. It'll essentially be able to function on its own based on whatever task the controllers tell it to do. So 
there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening with the gateway, but it's not all been disclosed yet. So they're still keeping it pretty pretty tight under wraps, but good good news for Canada. That's a really yeah. awesome accomplishment. So what's what's next for the Lunar Gateway? Like what can we expect to see within the next few years or so? So they're proposing to start launching modules of the Lunar Gateway in late 2024. And they're going to be assembling the space station in orbit. So they're going to launch the individual pieces to uh, the lunar orbit and start assembling it there like we did with the International Space Station. And right now they're proposing that it will take about four years. So sometime in late 2028, we'll see this station kind of fully built. And to go with that, they're also starting to launch astronauts first to just do flybys of the moon, then eventually orbit the moon, and then one day return to the surface of the moon and continue exploring from there. Oh my goodness, that's so soon. So then you're saying we could also potentially have a Martian gateway in another 50, 60 years? (laughs) Something like that. I was actually looking into SpaceX's timeline because it's kind of been changing a lot since they initially announced that they wanted to go to Mars. And they're now saying that 2026, they're going to land people on Mars. And then eventually sometime in the 2030s, it sounds like, start building colonies on Mars. And Oh my goodness. Yeah, I personally think that's a bit ambitious. I would love to see them do it. Don't get me wrong. But 2026 is only five years away. But yeah. If they can do it, then I would be thoroughly impressed and amazed. And I hope that they do accomplish that because it would be amazing. I guess we'll have to get you back on the podcast in five (laughs) years to see, did SpaceX actually do this? Yeah, that would be amazing. I hope they prove my hesitation wrong. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mitchell, for joining us on the Sidelines podcast. Really appreciate all of your insight and expertise. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. And thank you again for tuning in. Remember to subscribe for more conversations and some insightful answers to your questions about the science impacting your world. If you want to learn more about space exploration or any other topics we've talked about already on the show, visit us on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at SciForEveryone and on our website at www.scienceforeveryone.ca. For more information on COVID-19 vaccines, check out our sister podcast, Vaccination, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. On the Sidelines is a podcast by Science for Everyone. It's produced by Sam Marchetti, Connor McLean, June Kim, and Cheryl Nguyen, with editorial help provided by Kayla Benjamin. On the Sidelines is sponsored by the University of Toronto's Student Engagement Grant. Next time, we'll be talking about Japan's radioactive waste disposal methods and their impact on the ocean's ecosystems. We'll see you then.